You are listening to the Left Right Forward Show with Ambassador Delano Lewis. Enjoy the show. Welcome back. This is the Left Right Forward Show, and I'm your host, Ambassador Delano Lewis. Today, we will begin a two-part episode with Bob Johnson, co-founder and former chairman and CEO of Black Entertainment Television, and his successor, Deborah Lee, who has recently stepped down as chairman and CEO of Black Entertainment Television. You will hear their remarkable journeys of business success and achievement. Black Entertainment Television was the first African-American founded company listed on the New York Stock Exchange and continues today as a successful cable network now under Viacom Corporation. Let's welcome first Bob Johnson, co-founder and former chairman and CEO of Black Entertainment Television. Thank you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here and glad to hear your voice and glad to be a part of your your podcast. Well, thank you so much. I, I, you know, I have written a couple of books, and my second book is called "No Condition Is Permanent," and it's about my career and uh, stories about my life and experiences. And on page twenty-eight, I want to read this to you and see if it brings back memories. When I went to work for Walter Fontroy in nineteen seventy-one as his chief of staff, in the United States House of Representatives. My main job was to oversee a strong and forward-thinking staff that I could rely upon to help Walter achieve his agenda. Harley Daniels was the legislative director, and Robert Bob Johnson was in charge of press and public relations. I quickly learned that Bob Johnson had a talent for envisioning and organizing the public outreach for Walter Fontroy. Therefore, all press directions and political campaign approaches were Bob's initiatives. I found Bob to be very creative. He had a good instincts about politics and was a good writer. Bob was central in helping Walter with both legislative and political strategy. Bob and I became good friends and colleagues because we both were interested in politics and the strategies behind politics. We made a good team on Walter's staff. Does that bring back memories? Yeah, Dale, you're absolutely right. That does bring a, a lot of lot of memories. I think I I think it brings back a, a, a lot of praise that may not be justified. But <laughs> no, it's justified. I was, I was delighted to uh, to be a part of uh, Walter's team and and how I how I got there and to get to know the people that Walter had and to be a part of uh, Walter Fontra who. Uh, in many ways, was a historic force in Washington D.C. Uh, politics and national civil rights politics as well. So uh, there are a lot of uh, Walter Fontroy stories. I'm sure we can we can talk about. <laughs> yeah, I, I got there when I when I moved to D.C. Uh, after le- leaving graduate school at, at the Woodrow Wilson School of Princeton. Mm-hmm. I came to D.C. and like everybody that comes to D.C., you're looking for a job, and if they've got Political overtones. It could be better for you than than not because Washington D.C. as you know, Dell is a political town. Right. But I got to Walter's office after working for a guy named Sterling Tucker, right? Who was uh, at that time head of the Washington Urban League, mm-hmm. and I worked for him. And I met a guy through Sterling. Uh, who was a good supporter, a contributor to Walter Fontroy, 
And he got to talking to me about, he said, you know, I was thoroughly press secretary, community relations person. Right. He said, you know, you'd make a good guy to work for uh, Walter Fontroy, you know. And I said, you know, he's a district delegate. And I said, you know, okay, because I was always wanting to do something in politics. And and that's how I got introduced to uh, Walter Fontroy and uh, became his, his press secretary back in the days when... When you were a press secretary, you your job was to write everything that the congressman would say from his speeches <laughs> to his press release to the newsletter. You recall the newsletter was printed up in the uh, attic of the uh, congressional uh, offices up there on one of those machines where right. you put the ink on the uh, on the pa- on the machine and then you roll the paper through it and you'd get out these uh, these uh, pranking letters that the at that time, Congress was paying you to send to your constituents. Right. So I did that and traveled with Walter when he'd go out around D.C. making his speeches. And he he was an amazing uh, political guy in D.C. as well as national. And I, 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 I'll never forget when I'd go to him, particularly during some of the stops, to uh, where he'd go out and talk to the senior citizens. Right. And... I remember him going to one group of senior citizens at a Meals on Wheels kind of uh, place, Mm -hmm. and he would sit down and talk to them, and he would say something which I've sort of used a lot. Uh, He would say, you're as young as your faith and as old as your doubts. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And the senior citizens would love it, and so... He, he he had that way, and if if you stayed long enough, he he'd break out into a song. Oh, he loved so he to sing. He was a singer as well. Impossible so, no, dream. That, that was a, that was a heck of an experience working with you in that office and the staff he had, and uh, uh, trying to uh, you know deal with Walter's vision. And believe me, he had a vision from national to local to to international. He sure did. About do you what, remember, what should be done? Do you yeah. remember? Do you remember Bob? He I think he wrote a book about it. And you probably helped him with it. I can remember the arithmetic of power. Oh and, yeah, and, and yep. that was his view of how we were going to take over the district committee and have power from the district committee. And we, he had a whole scene about numbers to get rid of people who were not pro civil rights. And we did. Now, Dale, one of the things, one of the things that I, I know you know this, and uh, Walter politically in terms of black electoral power, mm-hmm. was somewhat ahead of his time. He was. I want to tell my listeners, I'm talking to uh, Robert Johnson, Bob Johnson, co-founder of Black Entertainment Television and now chair of RLJ Companies. And we were talking about how we met in Walter Fontraux's office, non-voting delegate to, to Congress. And what is fascinating about all of this is um, Bob's career moved on from there and my career moved on from there. I left after about a year and a half and became public affairs manager for Chesapeake and Potomac Telephone Company, the largest private employer in the city. And Bob left. Uh, I'm not sure about when. I think I left first. And Bob left shortly thereafter and went with um, National Cable uh, and Television Association. And that's where Bob began to learn about cable. And I began to learn about the telephone company. Am I right, Bob? Yeah, no, you're right. I, I left uh, somewhere around. Man, I don't want to date myself or date you or anything. But but I I left before I started BET, obviously, right. and uh, 
uh, went to work as a lobbyist for the National Cable Television Association, the trade association representing the growing cable industry. I was just getting started. Right. And so my job was to take all of what I learned by working with you on Capitol Hill. Right. And and, and working in, in local district politics uh, with Marion Barry and Sterling Tucker was to uh, to represent the cable industry. And that's where I got introduced to all the guys in the cable television industry who were starting uh, cable channels and installing cable systems around the country. And that connection of being at the NCTA led to me being the founder of BET. And and that um, was sort of uh, part of an experience that uh, I had uh, that sort of, you know, I guess defined my career from that point on because I got to work in a trade association, but it had complete business overtones. Right. Because uh, everybody in the cable industry was really trying to grow their businesses, and in order to do that, they had to have a lot of uh, deregulation for cable. Because I I remember when I was leaving Walter's office, uh, Dell, I I was trying to figure out what to do next. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know what kind of career I wanted to take. I had worked for the Urban League. I worked for Corporation for Public Broadcasting and, and of course, Walter. And so uh, I remember, again, like Walter had all of these powerful business friends. Mm-hmm. He asked me to go meet the guy who was the, uh, uh, at that time, the CEO of Riggs Bank. And I remember going to the guy, and he he, uh, he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't know. I've worked on the Hill. I've worked in community affairs. Uh, and then I said, I'm thinking about going to law school. Was that Joe Albert? No, no, I tell you what, it was Vince. Vince, Vince Burke. Vince Burke. Yeah, gotcha. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, it was Vince Burke, and he said, you think about going to law school? I said, yeah. He, he said, Bob, uh, do you think? You can think like a lawyer. I said, "Yeah, I, I could think like a lawyer." He said, "You don't need to go to law school. Man. All you need to do is <laughs> is hire lawyers." Right. And and that, that sort of changed my direction. And uh, I said, "Okay, let me find out what what was next." And that and that led to me being over. I was living in Southwest DC at the time, and I remember getting invited to this this uh, uh, party, a cocktail party of a next door neighbor's house. And this lady worked for the Cable Television Trade Association. Wow. And we got to talking, and she said, um, uh, what do you want to do next? And I said, you know, I don't know. Uh, she said, uh, you know what? You'd make a good lobbyist for the cable television industry. You worked on Capitol Hill. You worked in community. You worked for Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's right. I said, you know, I don't know anything about cable. She said, don't worry, I didn't know anything about it either when I got in. <laughs> so, she introduced me to the head of the trade association, and he hired me to be vice president of government affairs, and that introduced me to all the major players, who, who the pioneers, if you will, who led to the creation of what we now call cable television, and everything, the guys who started HBO, the guys who started Showtime, uh, the guys who started USA Network and ESPN, and all of that came as a result of uh, that relationship with you and Walter's office and then later into the cable television industry, which led to us 
rendezvousing again uh, in uh, in cable television in D.C. Yeah, I'm going to get to that one, Bob. But but you you have just outlined it so perfectly because I want our listeners to to hear very carefully that you had already received a bachelor's degree from uh, from what University of Illinois, and you'd already right. had your master's from Princeton. So you had solid uh, educational skills. And then you got experience uh, in the cable business, and that began to give you the groundwork uh, for the BET uh, venture. And on my side, yeah. my side, I was a, a, a lawyer, I graduated from Washburn School of Law in Kansas, and and KU undergrad, uh, University of Kansas, and I, I, I went into government service, and then ended up at Walter's office with you, and then I went in the telephone company business into public affairs. And so our careers were very similar. And so I'm learning the telephone business and you're learning the cable business. And yeah, it, it was the same. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I remember uh, one, when I went to the uh, cable industry, the one thing I said to myself, you know, I, just like you, I said, I got, I got these kind of stripes in community affairs. I got these kind of stripes in, in, in politics. Mm-hmm. What I didn't have was what I call my business stripes. Exactly. And by going in and being a lobbyist for the cable television industry, representing business guys in that growing industry, that's what gave me my what I call my business stripes and everything else. And and that's why. And then you were going along at the, the, the in the same path. Although, Dell, if you remember early on, you know, cable and telco Didn't were talk. in some form of competition. <laughs> That's right. Didn't talk to each other. Didn't talk to each other. Yeah, no, we didn't talk to each other because <laughs> you guys saw us as a, you know, probably at that, you guys were so large and so big, you know, it was, that mm-hmm. was when the AT&T and the Bell system was huge, you know, everything was Ma Bell and you guys had a monopoly over basically uh, how people communicated in in cities, and and so you weren't in the vision, the uh, video business, but you were darn sure in that it's the you control the poles absolutely that were necessary and, and to get cable lines and the wires to home. So uh, you know we we had our we had our competition, but that was something that uh, brought at the same time brought us together because we were both representing and explaining our industry to the same members of Congress, the same members of uh, regulators about why uh, we should have certain rights uh, that you had and you were saying how you shouldn't have these rights because we're critical to the nation. It was was some, but it was was a good interaction for us because we, we kept our focus on friendship and on politics. That's right. Uh, that that made a made a whole difference in what we did later on. And that's for sure. And you you, you enunciated that quite right. And then uh, you moved to to uh, uh, develop and found BET as a co-founder of Black Entertainment Television, which is the, uh, your learning and skills in the whole cable business. And I remember we stayed in touch, and you had always talked to me about joining the board of BET as you were moving. And I kept saying, right. and I kept saying, Bob, I'm with you. I want to be supportive, but I think we may have some conflicts. And so at that time, I watched you grow. And you might tell our listeners your vision and how it began to evolve into a a fantastic, uh, incredible business that you created. 
Well, well, BET was something that came out of uh, the growth of the cable television industry as a video uh, telecom industry. And uh, BET would not have existed had there not been the technology revolution of cable and satellite. And, Mm -hmm. Dell, as you know from your telco days, that uh, transmission of signals for telephone was strictly over the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. It, 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 it had to be that way because there was no way of uh, using telco wires uh, to transmit signals. And mm-hmm. the other thing on, the, on a telephone pole was electricity, and you certainly weren't using electricity to transmit video and audio. So it was over the air. Well, with the growth of, of cable, where it became possible to use a coaxial cable to deliver a video and an audio signal, well, you still had to get it there, and that meant you had to have telephone poles. Right. Well, the telephone company, you guys had a monopoly on the pole. Right. And we had to pay rent, believe it or not, to get on the pole with our wires. <laughs> and you guys didn't do anything to make that go faster. Right. And, and so, so we were at your mercy. And so slowly but surely, we began to lobby Congress to get what we used to call a legislation called poll access legislation. Mm-hmm. If you remember that fight, I sure do. That sort of it sort of required telco companies to give us space on telephone poles, mm-hmm. and that was the beginning of the growth of cable into people's homes. And then later on, you know, with the launch of satellites, then you could beam a signal uh, all around the country, and then it would be fed down to a technology system called a head-in, and then those wires would run through cable television lines on telephone poles into the home. So the industry grew uh, basically out of a technology revolution, and once the ability to transmit signals became national, then programming became national, and mm-hmm. and BET was part of that growth of CNN, MTV, and the like, and ESPN, and that's that's how I I got my sort of uh, opportunity, if you will. Uh, I happened to meet. I was on the uh, I was a lobbyist, and happened to meet a gentleman by the name of John Malone, who is today one of the most powerful guys in business. And telco telecom business uh, with a Every, company called Liberty Media. Yeah, everybody knew John and, Malone. Uh, yeah, and I remember going to John about the BET, and, uh, and there's a story I tell all the time when I go out and speak to uh, to groups about how I got started. So I went to John, and he asked me, he said, Bob, how much do you need to start this thing called BET to give you know African-American programming to cable subscribers? I said, John, I need half a million dollars. <laughs> and he said, okay, Bob, and this all took about 30 minutes back in those days to get a deal done right? because everybody was pioneers growing the industry. And he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Bob. I'm going to buy 20% of a company for 180 and I'm going to loan you 320. Mm-hmm. That'll be your $500,000. But I got 20%, you'll be 80%. Fantastic. And he said, Bob, is that a deal? I said, John, that's a deal. 
what John didn't know, if he'd reversed the numbers and said, I'll be 8 and you'll be 20, <laughs> I would have said, John, that's, that's a deal. A deal. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the start of BET, and from that point on, the business grew, and John and I made a lot of money off of BET. Uh, we, were, we took the company public, and BET became the first African-American company publicly traded on the New York Stock, Stock Exchange. Exchange. And then we took it private. You you remember being a part of that when you were on the board when we did the uh, the Viacom deal and uh, the acquisition and the uh, you know it was it was an amazing experience and I I really you know when I look back on it it was it was something that uh, you're in the right place at the right time with the right people and you know opportunities happen. But you were a real pioneer, a courageous pioneer with a vision. And you started it, and I remember that uh, I think you started BET, and you only had about two hours worth of programming <laughs> a yeah. week. And then you kept pushing, and as I said, went public, and the first African-American company on New York Stock Exchange. And then I did join the board uh, after I went to NPR. I became president of National Public Radio, and I said, I don't have the telephone uh, c- conflict, and uh, you invited me to the board. And uh, as you recall, I helped you through a committee of one, to uh, take your business private, to take the company private. And, yeah, uh, you, that was you fantastic. Did that, but you did, but you don't want to forget. You don't forget the other way you were instrumental in uh, my success in the com- communications industry. When uh, I, I put together a group of local investors, and, and John Malone again, right. to get the cable franchise in D.C. Well, you just, you just let in, Bob, to page 130 of my book. Uh, no condition is permanent. I say, while I was in my position in CMP Telephone Company, Bob called on me at my office to discuss a project he was pursuing outside of BET. He was organizing a group to bid for the contract to build a new cable system for the District of Columbia. He continued and said, I'd like to have you along with the telephone company as my partner on this bid. And we, at yep. that time, telephone companies weren't talking to cable companies. But, nope. but you and I forged that partnership, and the, yeah. and and we won. <laughs> yeah, you know, that 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 was something that was so unique that uh, two African American business guys who had sort of grown up through their own uh, you know uh, history of beginning in life, right? Uh, you got their education where they got it, got opportunities in business and in politics where they got it, shared a vision about what African-Americans who were successful could do if we could learn to work with each other. That's right. uh, To benefit ourselves, our families, and the businesses that we operated in and not be looking at each thing as as competitive uh, when we would come together. That was unique at the time. It really was. And so when when I called you to talk to you about you know, basically doing something revolutionary because we were asking you to carry our cable lines through your conduit. Right, right. And that was something that hurt. I imagine when you went to your your superiors (laughs) at the company to say, I got this innovative idea with a cable television company, say, are you crazy? Absolutely. Let me t- doing let me t- something like this, that was that was unique. It was historic. No question, Bob, but you had the vision. You sat down in my office, you called me first, and then you came to the office, and you said, I want you as a partner, 
are you Delano Del Lewis as a partner because I want your political skill, and then I want your company because you know every right of way, you know everything underground. You guys do things uh, on, with a budget on time, and you know you know how to make money. And so he said, I want yeah. you as a partner. And and then I had to go to my bosses, and they said, cable company. And what they did was uh, on the inside, we structured it. Uh, doing a phase per each, we structured we structured it in phases so that uh, we got our return fairly early on, and we we cut the deal and we made it work. But it was a cable company working with a uh, telephone company, and it was absolutely unique in history. Well, we always we also had to do Dell, if you recall, we had to do some was some, some uh, I'd call uh, legal kind of jujitsu. <laughs> So, so that there was a clear understanding of who controlled the wires. That's because right. You guys weren't willing to give up the wires. Right. Exactly. So, if the, if it was in your conduit, it was your wires. Right. So, and and we wanted to be able to argue that we were delivering cable television, but we couldn't argue that we were doing it if we didn't have control of access to the wire. So, we had to come up with this this definition of almost like something like a condominium <laughs> where where it was politically, it was legally, it was a telephone company had the wire, but legally and politically to the, to the city council, we controlled the content that went through the wire. Right. And so you had an ownership piece there. And when we went right. to the council, if you recall, they were treating it like legislation. And we had yeah. to go through Betty Ann Kane's committee, Councilwoman's committee, and you had to have the committee to come out and endorse it. Then it would go to the full council and then to the mayor. And if you recall, yeah, no, yeah. and, and you it rec- was that way, because, yeah, because you guys had to be tr- looked at separately because you right. were a utility, exactly. So you had to be treated like a utility. So you had to get your parts all first, right, before you can even talk about the cable combination part, exactly. And then when it, we got to it, when we got to committee, there were three groups vying for Cablevision for D.C., and one of them was Percy Sutton's group out of New York, and he was the borough president of New York. Very strong group. And that was the group, if you recall, Bob, that Betty Ann committee signed off on. We lost in committee. Yeah. And, the, and then you and I uh, had to marshal our forces, and we used every political skill we knew about, and we turned it around before the full council. And, yeah, and we won, yeah. and we won the bid. Yeah, no, it, it was it was fascinating, and again, I, I remember the the stories that that came about about the you and me uh, being you know victorious in this and showing off our political skills right. and bringing all the the ward votes together when nobody thought it was, we thought we were going to lose because Percy said was a very powerful figure not only he in was, New York but nationally he was he and was. and we had that talk about then uh, I do remember sometime during about that time people were thinking about you running for mayor yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to talk about I, that one <laughs> yeah that, that, I remember that that you was people true say, Del Lewis, you ought to run for mayor you should that, but that was that was a, that, like I said that was a historic uh, a, a venture, you know. It and and I it it, it brought me not only involved in BET but also involved in the owning the cable franchise in the city as well. Absolutely, Bob. We have spent a lot of time uh, for my listeners. Um, 
What I'd like to do, Bob, uh, you've been very generous with your time. Why don't we have another episode? Uh, I'd love to uh, continue this. We need to talk about what happens when you sold uh, to Viacom and you went on to RLJ companies and the kinds of things that you're doing uh, through through your second chapter. And then I also want to talk about our involvement in uh, D.C. politics because the two of us continued our relationship uh, and worked uh, when Marion Barry was elected, and we did a lot of things together uh, for the good of the city uh, in his early terms. And so there are a lot of things that we shared that I'd like to continue. Uh, would you? Yeah, know? no, I, I believe me. You can count on that. I mean, you've, we've got uh, stories that you, you can tell about your ambassadorship to uh, South Africa and how that came about and the work you did over there and as well as National Public Radio, the politics of, uh, of the Congressional Black Caucus and and uh, President Bill Clinton and, and a lot a lot of things that are, are pretty much unique. So I, that's why I say keep keep writing those books because I like that idea that no one about no this, no permanent no, no permanent condition, condition is permanent <laughs> right no condition is permanent. But I will I, uh, and, go ahead, Bob. No, and I, I say that uh, you know I hope the. Uh, uh, people who are listening to the podcast will tune in again when we get back together, and uh, and not only not only with me, I I think you're going to be able to reach out to a a lot of uh, what I call history makers in terms of their own accomplishment and what they can do, and it'll be a fascinating stories that need to be told, and if uh, people can can be that fly on the wall and and hear stories that they wouldn't otherwise hear through your podcast. Uh, it should be a, a great listening post for everybody who, who want to hear some compelling uh, stories. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Uh, it is Fly on the Wall podcast, and I do want to get back with you because we need to talk about our board, uh, uh, our corporate boards, because you served on a number of boards. Thanks to you, uh, I was recommended by you on the Eastman Kodak board, and I served there, and I served on a number of corporate boards. And again, we have a lot in common that we have done and shared, and we need to share that with our listeners because there's a, there's a system here. There is a process here, and you and I have managed to do that fairly successfully. So uh, there's a lot to talk about, and I will take you up on that offer to come back. Yep, count on it, count on it. You, you, you know after we've been around long enough to know that you got, you, you got to go through Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he I, will he will make it happen because I, that's one that's one of the success I think we've had is we both had the good fortune of having very talented people work with us. And absolutely nothing right. happens without having people who are part of your team and who share in your vision and are willing to work just as hard, if not harder, than you to help you achieve that. And so I'm looking forward to the next session. Well, thank you so much, Bob. You've been listening to. Fly on the Wall podcast with Bob Johnson, co-founder of BET and chair of RLJ Companies, a good friend and colleague. Bob, it was terrific. Look forward to the next time. You got it. Take care, Dale. Okay, buddy. Thanks. Thank you, Bob Johnson. What a remarkable story of business success and visionary leadership in the cable network business world. Now let's listen to another compelling story of business success with Deborah Lee, the successor to Bob Johnson as chairman and CEO of Black Entertainment Television. Welcome, Deborah Lee. Thank you. 
Thank you, Dell. It's my pleasure to be here. I was just thinking about this interview and saying that Debbie, let's first of all start with the name because I've called you over the years, Deborah, and then every time <laughs> I get a note back from you, it's Debbie. So <laughs> I know the story of my life. I always introduce myself as Debbie, right. uh, and people always call me Deborah. So right. I answer to both. <laughs> well, I, I have the same problem. It's a funny thing. Yeah, I, I have the same problem. I've I grew up with Delano, and but work people and friends and business, and otherwise call me Dell. So anyway, yeah. I, I'm like you. I answer to both. But right. but Debbie. You know, you have spent uh, over three decades in the cable and entertainment business. And right. I just think that's just absolutely fantastic. And I want to just start with just your background. And uh, mm-hmm. I noticed you were from, uh, born in South Carolina, but raised in North Carolina. So right. just give us a sense of the, of the beginnings. Uh, But I grew up in Greensboro. It was my first experience in a segregated um, community. Um, The South was still very segregated at the time, and we lived on the black side of town. Uh, But I always say that uh, we never felt like we wanted for anything. We had Mm -hmm. black doctors and black lawyers. We had a black bank. I went to all-black high school. You know, our churches were all black. I mean, we just didn't cross Market Street. Market Street was, you know, downtown, and we just never had any reason to go across Market Street. Um, So I lived through... I lived through the Watts riots when we were in California, so that was an interesting experience. And by the time we moved to Greensboro, the sit-ins that you hear so much about, the right. Woolworth sit-ins, were over. Uh, but, you know, they were still going through school desegregation. And But it was a very proud community, and um, I think that's, you know, where I learned to be a leader. Uh, the first day of sixth grade, I was uh, elected class president. Wow. <laughs> so, the rest, they say, is history. It's history. Um, so I was doing some interviewing in New York, and every time I'd come back, I'm like, you know, I really like these. Um, and so the the offer from uh, Bob and BET came along just at the right time. Well, that's incredible. And so how that happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's incredible. I listening to you, uh, it sounds so familiar because you had a certain view in life, and you really wanted to get into public policy and law. In right. particular, law didn't particularly fit. But as uh-huh. things would happen, you ended up with the clerkship with Barrington Parker, which was a he was a well known, respected jurist uh, in DC, right. and that was. A a beautiful spot, and then step, mm-hmm. uh, the law firm was Steptoe and Johnson, if I Steptoe recall. Steptoe and Johnson, and That's it was correct. one of the more prominent law firms. Uh, was Ty Brown at the law firm at the time? Yes, that's, that's how I yeah. got into the communications. Right. I started working on projects with, with Tyrone Brown, who was former um, FCC commissioner, right. and um, and BET was his client. Uh, and that's how I started working on BET Matters. So, yeah, that, that was the, you know, and I, I tell this story a lot when I do speeches to tell young people, mm-hmm. sometimes things work out differently <laughs> than you plan. <laughs> you know, none sure. of this was, you know, what I planned going into law school or coming out of law school, and it just uh, worked out perfectly in a, in a lot of different ways. You're, you're absolutely correct. And for our listeners, uh, we are Fly on the Wall podcast and conversations with uh, former chairman and CEO of Black Entertainment Television, Debbie Lee, and with a fantastic background. In the beginnings uh, uh, at BET, you were the uh, general counsel of, of Black Entertainment Television starting in That's 1986. Right. And um, you've had 
uh, three decades with black <laughs> entertainment. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, uh, In 30 this 32, years. 32 years. Because um, I stepped down last June, uh, and, and I would have never expected that. Um, and, you know, I was very happy with the title of uh, Executive Vice President and General Counsel. I thought that's as far <laughs> as you could go right. in the legal profession, and I was happy to be at a firm, I mean, a company um, practicing law. Um, and then I started, you know, doing, being, becoming more interested in business and doing more business things. Um, so my career took a different turn. And I was going to ask you about that because I think mm-hmm. for the listeners, particularly those who, those people who are interested in starting their careers or thinking about their careers, about how you'd move that transition from the law to business. Because I had mm-hmm. the very same thing working right. in legal jobs in the government, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. then I moved into the telecom industry into business, and I had no business background. Just right. share, share with our listeners about. Uh, your move from from the law to to taking on more business uh, responsibilities. Right. Well, it, it happened over time uh, as the lawyer at the company. And when I joined the company, the company is still pretty small. I had 80 employees. We had one office in D.C. at the time. Um, and, um, you know, we had maybe five or six executive vice. Well, we start, all started off as vice presidents. And one day, Bob Johnson promoted us all as executive <laughs> vice president. But anyway, they were a small group. And I always say the other uh, EVPs were more specialized than I was. They mm-hmm. were in programming or advertising, uh, uh, marketing, uh, the chief financial officer. So as a lawyer, you know, I, you could say I had a broader background. Right. Um, and over time, I started taking over more of the uh, business projects. I, I oversaw the um, construction of our first studio in Washington, D.C. Um, I ran our magazine division for a while. Uh, we started um, a magazine for uh, African-American teenagers called YSB, Young Sisters right. and Brothers, and I really loved that. I loved the magazine business. Um, and over time, I started doing more and more things at the same time, I was general counsel, right. and I finally said, okay, I can't do this. You know, you can't <laughs> keep up with the most current law when you're running businesses. Um, so, you know, it took me a while, but I finally convinced Bob that, you know, I needed my own general counsel. Um, and his his uh, decision was to create a title, uh, uh, a position for me called um, chief operating officer, which didn't exist before, um, and then he allowed me to um, hire my own general counsel. Well, that's a fantastic uh, story. One of the yeah. things that our listeners should hear, and I don't think they could hear it, but just listening to you about the network, uh, I, uh, I had a chance, I, I was a good friend of, of Bob Johnson, and we worked right. in, we worked in uh, uh, Representative Fontroy's office together. He, was, mm-hmm. he went on to cable, and I went into telecom. I knew uh-huh. I knew Ty Brown uh, from Steptoe and Johnson, and he was very early on with BET. And I think right. I met you when you were the general counsel, and right. we were doing a cable deal, not related to BET, but Bob uh-huh. was Bob was doing a cable deal with a private uh, firm, a private group. Right. So right. There, there is a network here uh, that sure. I think is very very important uh, that we share together. Yes. 
And I don't know if you're ready to tell the story, but one of my fondest stories about you, Dell, is when you came on the board of uh, BET Holdings, uh, when uh, BET, I think, well, you know, you came on before we went private, I think. I mean, before we went public. Exactly. Um, and uh, we were trying to go private. Well, first of all, because you knew Bob Johnson and you knew Ty Brown. Ty mm-hmm. was still uh, corporate secretary for BET. He was he was never on the board, but he was right. corporate secretary. And I, you know, worked with him on the corporate matters that were brought to the board. Uh, but when we were trying, we had been, we had gone night public and 1991, which is an amazing experience for me as a lawyer, Um, and for the company, we were the first African-American company traded on the New York Stock Exchange, Mm -hmm. Um, and the day we started trading, you know, we all went up to the stock exchange, and the people that had run tickets on the floor forever, the, the black men and women, giving us high fives because they had never seen, you know, a group of black executives come through the New York Stock Exchange. That's so that fantastic. was really exciting. Yeah, but then I remember, you know, um, the board deciding, I think it was seven or eight years later, yes. to take the company private, and we had to set up a special committee and come to find out you were the only independent <laughs> board member who was able to form the special committee uh for the um uh, you know valuation of the company and everything else that was involved in that um and so you ended up being a, a special committee of one um yeah, I run that process. Yeah, I do remember that I mean, story. Uh, you know, uh-huh. you know, Debbie, that's a blessing and a curse. I was independent because I didn't have uh, any stock compared to the the other persons on the board, right? Because I was fairly new new member, and uh-huh. although I'd known Bob all this time, so it was a blessing and a curse. And then when yeah. I took this on, my wife Gail, who, who who followed me, she's the business head. She says, "What uh-huh. are what are you doing? Right. You are the committee of one. You are right. pretty. You're." Putting yourself in a very tenuous position here of, right. of moving this company uh, private, I said, "Well, I'm uh-huh. going to have uh, the one of the things that that, that the board uh, approved uh, with Bob and your approval as well is that uh-huh. I had a, I had a law firm to give me advice, and right. uh, we worked hard and uh, we put forth uh, a, a, did it all by the book. We put forth an right. offer to to the company to take it private, uh-huh. and that was accepted. And as they say, the rest is history." <laughs> right, yeah, but you you did a great job as serving in that, but it was a lot to ask of one person to, um, you know, be a committee of one. But you had a law firm, and then there were a couple of uh, investors investment banking firms exactly. uh, that was were helping out. But it was a very precarious position because <laughs> I felt like I was in the same position. You, right. you know, you were kind of between the board uh, and, and John Malone, who was one of the board members who wanted to, to sell. Mm-hmm. And, um, and um, well, no, Bob and, and uh, John Malone were buying the company back privately. Right. And then the public shareholders, you had to do a good job for them. Exactly, and uh, and you know the employees and everyone else. So it, it was a uh, uh, a difficult. I, I I remember it as taking ten months. I don't know what you remember. <laughs> it, it, it's right. It was almost a year. It, yeah, it's exactly but I, right. I, 
I always say it was the, the one of the worst ten month periods of my <laughs> life because I had to, as you know, COO, I had to make sure that uh, the purchasers didn't do anything to devalue the company during the right. process, right. and you know that put me in a in a difficult position. But we made it through and came up with a very fair. Um, uh, purchase price for the shareholders and um, yes, yeah, I think it ended. It's a very good story with a very good ending, and I think people mm-hmm. people did very well with the investment, and uh, I think people were pretty pleased with the outcome. And right. BET survived and began to right. flourish. And right. you became uh, when Bob stepped down. You right. you, you became the, the the head person. Yeah, uh, the and president. That was in two thousand and five. Five. You yeah, became president and CEO. Right, Bob stayed five years after the uh, uh, sale to Viacom mm-hmm. because that's what happened two years after we went private. private. Is Viacom came calling and saying they wanted to, you know, purchase BET, and that was another year-long process with Allen and Company. Right, uh, and uh, I, I, Bob Johnson, and myself both signed five-year deals, mm-hmm. uh, and at the end of the first five years, uh, Bob decided to leave the company, and I took over. Um, so I was CEO and chairman for 13 years, wow. which is a pretty pretty good run also. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the Viacom relationship, because now oh. you've gone from, from BET when it was public, BET when it was private, you right. went from uh, legal jobs to business operations business. jobs, and then now you're running a company on your own, and then Viacom comes and acquires you, you're in a very different role. Tell me about about that relationship. Well, it was a good relationship from the start because they agreed to um, certain um, what we called social contracts right up front. Mm -hmm. Uh, They promised, this was under Sumner Redstone leadership and and, uh, Mel Carmison. And they both uh, promised uh, Bob uh, complete autonomy. Uh, they said they were not going to run the company, uh, that they expected uh, Bob and myself and the management team to run the company. Uh, they said they wanted it to stay uh, a black-targeted uh, network. They didn't buy it for the subscribers. They didn't Fantastic. plan to turn turn it into something else. Um, so that was a great um, uh, concession. Um and so for me, because I was not the founder, right. um, it was a great learning experience to all of a sudden be a division of a huge um, media conglomerate that had, you know, seven or eight other divisions, mm-hmm. uh, including MTV and the cable networks. Paramount uh, Studios were part of the company. CBS Network was part of the company at the time. Showtime, uh, Simon and Schuster. So it was a, it was a very diverse company. Um, and uh, you know, I was used to working for others. I, I like I said, I wasn't the founder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now I was reporting to to Mel Carmazon and eventually Tom Freston. Um, so it was a great learning experience. We, you know, I always felt like as an independent company. We kind of had to learn things on our own. As you know, John Malone was a great 
board member and a great advisor. Uh, but we didn't have, you know, someone to pick up the phone all the time and say, how do you do this? Right. And becoming part of Viacom, we had that. You know, I could call the head of MTV or I could call the head of VH1 or Nickelodeon and say, you know, what's your budget look like? How much do you spend on marketing? Mm-hmm. You know, so it was a great learning experience. Um, and, and over time, we had more resources. Right. Um, and that's when I, and when I became uh, CEO, I was able um, to say that, you know, we were going to get into more original programming. But you, um, but, but you did some incredible things. Uh, you, you know, you really uh, are being very, very modest. Once you took over um, and you have that strong relationship with Viacom and those resources, you took BET to really uh, incredible heights. Uh, you did some interesting things with the BET experience, BET mm-hmm. awards, sitcoms. You expanded uh, programming. Some tremendous kinds of uh, accomplishments. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And and one of the most um, heartwarming parts of having, having stepped down is that people still stop me on the street and thank me for, you know, turning BET into pretty much a programming powerhouse. You know, yes. we were we went from $10,000 a half hour uh, music videos to, <laughs> you know, half a million dollar sitcoms and million dollar um, dramas, uh, hour long dramas. And and that took us a while. You know, you can do it overnight. Right. Uh, but people saw the progress and they appreciate it because our, our audience always wanted BET to look just like ABC and CBS. They never understood the difference between broadcast networks and cable networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were one of the earliest networks to get uh, cable networks to start doing original programming. You sure were. Um, so I had uh, Viacom's confidence and they were willing to invest. And, um, yeah, I'm really proud of the programming we did over time. Um, and a, a lot of young black men especially still stop me and say, thank you for what you've done for the culture. Because, you know, it, I really tried to focus. We, we, we had a three-word mission statement, which is to respect, reflect, and elevate our audience. So it's very important uh, to me especially to show authentic images. And, you know, when you got it right, when you when you produce a show like Being Mary Jane, where the audience showed up, you know, by the millions every week, mm-hmm. um, and and showed um, African Americans in an authentic way, that's you know something to be very proud of. You should uh, be very proud. And yeah, you thank re- you. You redesigned the mission also to include families and right. uh, families' family dreams and promoting uh, a fresh look at talent uh, right. from from the family perspective, and uh, you know it's just incredible uh you've been very very generous with your time until our listeners we're talking to uh former chairman and ceo of black entertainment television deborah lee uh before i let you go i, I want to talk a little bit more about mm-hmm. not only what you accomplished and let's think now and let's be very frank here you did this as an african-american woman and yeah. i think that's a, that's something that our listeners need to know and i am very proud of and proud to be associated with you because extremely uh tough times for not only african americans in the business world but for an african american woman and mm-hmm. uh, i think that's something that our listeners should certainly need to know and uh i'm very extremely proud of it right well thank you um 
you know, I, I still look at the business world and I still look at the boards I'm on. I'm still on the Twitter board and the Marriott board. Um, and there's, you know, there hasn't been as much progress as we would like right. on, the, on the female side and especially on the black female side in the business world. Um, and that's one of the things I hope to help with, you know, in my new, this new phase of life. Um, and I have a conference called Leading Women Define, which I started while I was at BET, and we just celebrated the 10th anniversary. And one of the great things about it is it brings prominent African-American women together, but we talk about issues and how we can uh, retain women so that they can rise to the COO, CEO ranks, um, and and other issues that women in the workplace have. So there's still a lot of work to be done. I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of what I was able to accomplish, but we need to, to make it a better place for our daughters. So if, if people want to have, if women want to have a career on the business side, you know, they, they can. Um, and, um, you know, we, we need to keep pushing that we need diversity of ideas in all kinds of businesses. And when you see some of these businesses stumble and make a mistake with marketing or images, you know, you just right. have to think to yourself, if they had more black people in executive positions, these things would not happen. You're absolutely um, right. Yeah. But I want to say congratulations on Leadership Women Defined. Uh, this is your 10th year. Uh, right. And I would certainly say uh, kudos to you and continue your good work. Uh, before Great. we sign Thank off, you. you've done so many uh-huh. other things in the not-for-profit world. You served uh-huh. on many corporate boards, Marriott, Revlon, Washington right. Gas, and now now Twitter. And you uh-huh. received so many honors, uh, Broadcasting Cable Hall of Fame, the 2014 Honorary Doctorate from your alma mater, Brown University. Right. You have achieved you. so much in your time. Uh, is there, before we close, any words you'd like to say about that illustrious career to those listeners, particularly to women of color, about, yeah. about your background? Oh, I appreciate that question. I think, you know, I started off by saying I went to law school because I wanted to give back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I found another way to give back. You know, and, and BET became that that vehicle where, you know, through the media business, through all the other businesses, uh, we started at, at BET Networks, through my board work at other companies, uh, through my political um, affiliations, um, um, supporting different candidates, through my not-for-profit work. I mean, I really uh, feel very satisfied that I found my way to give back. Um, um, and it, it's a combination of corporate board work and not-for-profit work. I've been doing Alvin Ailey for years. Um, I'm on the Paley Center. I'm on the American Film Institute. I mean, any way I can help the next generation of young um, black males and females find their way in the uh, media business or find opportunities or help our culture, you know, on the art side. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something I, I feel really good about. And, um, you know, I have two children of my own. I hope I'm passing it down to them. They're both in the music industry. Great. Um, and I just think it's, it, in terms of advice, I always say the important thing is to find something you feel passionate about and work at it as, as hard as you can. We have been talking to Deborah Lee, uh, former chairman and CEO of Black Entertainment Television, who's just stepped down. Debbie, thanks for this wonderful interview, and uh, 
uh, take some time off. You've done some incredible <laughs> things, and you deserve <laughs> it. You. you deserve a little time off. Thank you. And it's, Thank you. It's been wonderful. We have just heard the remarkable stories of the beginnings of Black Entertainment Television under Bob Johnson as co-founder and CEO, followed by his successor, Deborah Lee, who took the company to even greater heights in the cable communications world. Both Bob and Deborah were visionary leaders with solid educational backgrounds. We learn that hard work, perseverance, and the cultivating of relationships and mentors are the critical elements to business success. I sincerely hope you've learned and appreciated that dreams do come true, but you first have to make your own personal efforts to succeed. Follow then with hard work, perseverance, and determination, you too can succeed in business and in life. You have been listening to Left, Right, Forward, Business and Political Solutions. Our goal is to inform, to educate, and to inspire. Until next time, Godspeed. You have been listening to the Left, Right, Forward show, where our mission is to inspire, educate, and inform. Thanks for listening.